Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's eLearning, offering online courses for nurse preceptors like the Preceptor Challenge, with information available at aacn.org forward slash precept. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barton. This is Connie Barton, and I'm so glad today to get a chance to talk with my friend and colleague, Vicki Good. Vicki is the Executive Director of Nursing at Mercy Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. So Vicki, thanks so much for carving out a minute to uh, chat today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. And I've got a lot in that brain of yours that I want to pick. The topic that we want to swirl around today really is, it's about burnout and maybe a bit about burnout in leaders. I know that's something you know a lot about, so let's get going. Okay, sounds great. You know, the first thing, sort of in a more general topic, I know you've been researching and talking about this whole burnout thing for quite a while, number of years, actually. Can you say a little bit about what sparked your interest in this in the first place? So I think really two things. First is I experienced burnout twice in my own nursing career. You know, once when I was a nurse, um, and I wasn't really sure what was wrong with me because all of a sudden one day I had no desire to go to work. I had no desire to be with my patients and I just was struggling. I worked my way out of it just because I had great personal connections. I had great support, but I still didn't know what was wrong with me. Why did I certainly hit this you know, brick? And then I also experienced it as a leader later when I assumed leadership responsibilities But by then, there had started to be a little bit of chatter about it in the literature. And being the nerd that I am, was doing a lot of reading and kind of looked at it and said, wow, that's me. So then fast forward to the mid-2000s, 2013, 14, when I was serving as the AACN president, I was also in the middle of working on my doctorate degree. It all merged together. As I was sitting around the table with the Critical Care Consortium, leaders and we were talking about what was facing critical care and this whole daunting thing of burnout, I really started to get engaged at that point and and take it on from a more scholarly aspect. You know, one, to be able to help and support, you know, my colleagues. Wow. Well, there's a whole lot in that that I want to circle back to as, as we go through this. But I think before we go too much further, and it sounds like you know a heck of a lot more about this than I do. <laughs> Let's get on the same page. So if somebody says to you, well, how do you define burnout? Tell us a little bit about that. And if you have any great tidbits of wisdom from a lot of this research that you've reviewed, we'd love to hear about it. So, you know, burnout is really an unrelenting stress that comes directly from your work environment. So it's different than personal stress that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. And Your personal stress at home can certainly influence how you respond to some of the environmental factors at work, but it's really focused in on that that work piece. Chris Moslach really did the bulk of defining burnout, Um, and believe it or not, she defined it back in the 1970s. But if you really look at sociology in the 1970s and the generations that were working then, it didn't take hold. And I think there's a lot of different reasons why that happened. But, you know, primarily 
the older generations approached the workforce from a standpoint of you just deal with it. So they weren't willing to talk about those feelings that they were having at work. The younger generation, I think, has taught us that it's okay to acknowledge our feelings and to acknowledge these um, challenges that we're having. Chris really defines it, and, and most of the experts certainly agree with her, as three different categories or three different concepts. One is exhaustion, emotional and physical exhaustion. You just can't do anymore. The second one is depersonalization. It's a detachment. You suddenly don't find joy in the things that you once found joy in in your work environment. You become completely disengaged from your patients, from your colleagues. So if you see that colleague that suddenly you know, was really involved in things and then steps away, that might be a, a key indicator there. The lastly is a sense of accomplishment. So you suddenly lack that feeling of accomplishment. You just think, I can't do anything right. I'm not making a difference. You know, why should I go on? Why should I do any more? And so if you look at those three factors together, that's what most of the assessment tools look at to define whether or not you're experiencing burnout. And obviously, if you test, quote unquote, test, you know, positive in one, two, or three of those dimensions depends on your level of burnout that you're experiencing at that given time. You know, just real quick, when you mentioned that Maslow has a, a burnout um, scale or something that people use quite often, isn't it? Yeah, there's a Maslow burnout inventory um, that is a research-based tool that you can use to measure burnout. Um, and then there's also now a variety of different tools that are a little bit more simple and less research-focused, but still valid tools to use to measure burnout. That's really great. So it's not just a feeling or a, I think. Now, I love how you described it with the three key features, but I noticed that when you talked earlier about that you as a nurse experienced burnout, you said twice, once as a, as a nurse and then another in your role as a leader. But what you said, because I wrote it down, is when you said a nurse, I had no desire for X. I had no desire for Y, no desire for Z, which is almost, it's the perfect fit with the more scholarly way that you described it just then in talking. So it's a perfect example. If you look at what we've gone through with COVID and you talk about exhaustion, depersonalization and lack of sense of accomplishment, it's no wonder that burnout now, the rates have escalated like they have. Pre-pandemic, you know, the experts were measuring burnout levels in nurses and critical care nurses in particular around 35 to 40%. Post-pandemic, we really don't have a lot of solid evidence out there yet what the burnout rates are. But some of the experts are estimating that those rates are probably approaching 60 to 70%. And so it's now almost at that crisis level, you know, post-pandemic. So now what are we going to do about it? I think the other thing that is so critical with the pandemic is pre-pandemic, we saw mostly the burnout in our bedside nurses and our staff nurses. Post-pandemic, we're seeing it in all levels. We're seeing it in our staff nurses, we're seeing it in our nurse managers, our directors, our CNOs. So it's really taken on a whole new shape. I've always adhered to this belief, every one of us is a leader. 
So I guess, you know, if you go back to whether or not this is a leadership topic or a staff nurse topic, I think it's an everyone topic. Um, and, you know, my favorite book of all times is You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader by Mike Sanborn. And, you know, if you look at the interventions, if you look at how we all get there, it's all the same, whether or not we're a staff nurse or a leader. Makes perfect sense. And when you describe emotional and physical exhaustion, I mean, you and I are talking now in 2022, where we've been through more than two years, going on three years of, of an unprecedented pandemic. Emotional and physical exhaustion describes a lot of people, not only in healthcare, but, but in a lot of different forums. I want to segue a little bit into thinking about this thing of it's not just staff nurses. It also is people at every level, so to speak, every role, I would say. Mm -hmm. So you experience it in a role as a staff nurse and also in a leadership role. Are there any things that differ between what shows up when a leader versus a more frontline professional experiences this? Anything come to mind around that? I really don't see much difference. I mean, the signs and symptoms are the same. It's you know, it starts very mild with anxiety, headaches, you know, just mild stress type symptoms, but then they elevate to severe insomnia, illnesses, PTSD, you know, and unfortunately in healthcare, we're seeing unprecedented levels of suicide within our profession. And so oftentimes, you know, those suicides are directly related to the stress at work. And that's just such a sad thing for us all to think about. Maybe it's good news that the signs and symptoms in a way are the same no matter who you are. I think those those hallmark concepts around burnout are really important for us to think through. We'll recap those before we wrap up. But I guess my next question would be, we could see those in ourselves. I think often we notice or wonder about those signs in other people. What do you think we ought to do if we notice that in, an, in a colleague at, let's say, in our same role, or if we're working and we think perhaps that's going on for a leader, that could be a little intimidating to start right. a conversation with a leader about that. So just in general, if you're concerned about someone else, maybe because you've had these signs and symptoms yourself, any uh, thoughts about what one ought to do in that situation? I think it goes back to, you know, really looking at one of the hallmarks as depersonalization and kind of pulling away is we have to reconnect. We have to connect with that person first and foremost. So that may be something completely simple, like let's go grab a cup of coffee and just sit down and chat. Um, it doesn't have to be anything formal. I think some of the most effective tools that I've read about and even seen and witnessed is those programs that have a peer-to-peer -peer support group, uh, whether it was a bad case that you dealt with or whether it's just the culmination of all those cases on top of you that you really need somebody to reach out to. So I think the first and foremost things is, is to make that connection, have that discussion with them and really try to engage them. You know, if you're not able to, then help them to get connected to a, a possible professional support person. So employee assistance programs or any other program that you have within your hospital um, becomes critical at that point in time. But I think the other thing 
you know, that I want to make sure that we can weave into this conversation is just the overall impact of healthy work environments as well, you know, as we work through this, because there's two different factors on developing burnout. So one is our own internal clock, if you will. So some of us are just wired to having more issues with anxiety and depression and all those kind of things. But the second thing is the work environment that we're working in. And if we're constantly going into that work environment where it's unhealthy and there is not those support systems for us, it is going to pull us down. So you can take, I mean, the literature has shown this clearly, but you can take the person with the best resiliency skills there are and put them in an unhealthy work environment and that environment's going to pull them down. In addition to connecting them, we've also got to look at what is the environment they're working in. So maybe they need to move to a different environment. Not saying that it's necessarily an unhealthy work environment, but is that work environment too stressful for them? Our particular hospital, we've done away with the whole rule that you have to work in a certain unit for six months or a year before you can transfer. That seems like a huge insight. I totally get that. I like your thought about sometimes it's a work environment that doesn't fit you, doesn't align with your values. That happened to me once in my career where I, I tried to make a go of it in a place and didn't know initially that my values and some of the values in this particular unit weren't aligned. And um, eventually, I had to acknowledge, well, I'm the one that is the outlier here. And so I moved on to something else, found another great opportunity, but uh, willingness to do that. You know, when you talk about healthy work environments, you and I've worked together on this a lot. I think you're talking about concepts like how we work together, how we communicate, the level of trust, uh, even how we make decisions, who gets to have a voice, anything else you want to say about you know, sort of your notion of what makes a, a work environment better in one place and not so great in another. Anything to add there? I mean, it is all about that culture, that culture aspect. And I think the one thing that we have lost through the pandemic is the culture of connection and how do we connect with one another. Everybody used to go out to, you know, dinner and drinks after a shift and people are no longer doing that. You know, we would have baby showers in the break room Um, birthday parties in the break room, stuff like that had to go away during COVID. And so how do we start to reinvigorate those things that give people that personal connection at work? You know, it also goes back to having authentic leaders. How do we support our leadership through this time, get them through the pandemic, through this feeling of hopelessness that they've developed so that they can then support their teams in the best way possible? I love, love, love that you just said that. Because I think so often we get involved in expecting so much out of our leaders. They're going to have the answer. They're going to fix this. They're going to tell us the right things to do. But what you said was supporting our leaders. Because guess what? They're humans too, right? Yes. I think I just want to reemphasize that point. Really, we're all in this together. Leaders have a different role and different accountabilities and all of that. But they're just as human as all the rest of us. And so supporting leaders takes on a whole new meaning. And you are in a high-powered leadership position, executive director is all fancy. Like what a couple of things, like if you were feeling supported by your staff as a leader, can you think of like, what might that feel like? What might that look like to you as a leader? Well, I think it is just that acknowledgement that we're human too. 
we're going to make mistakes. You know, we don't intentionally mess up the schedule. We don't intentionally do some of these things. And I have always said that the hardest role in the hospital is the nurse manager. They are pushed upon from, you know, people like myself, the CNO, the president of the hospital to get certain metrics achieved, pushed by their staff, you know, to get things done and they're squished in the middle. You know, I've often said they are the hardest ones. They are the ones that have the, the toughest job in the hospital. So AONL, which is the American Organization of Nurse Leaders, just did a two-year impact study on leaders in the hospital setting through the pandemic. And would love to just share a little bit from that because I think the one thing that shocked me and the statement just was overpowering to me was the overall impact of the study looking at the two-year time frame was nurse managers have gone from burned out to hopelessness. And that is just an incredible statement when you think about that. So how do we pull them out of that hopelessness? But the top challenge in 2020, if we all remember when the pandemic started and the craziness that we all experienced with, okay, today you wear a mask for this long a time and you know tomorrow now it's we wear the mask this way and then the next day you do something different. So the top challenge in 2020 was how do nurse managers communicate changing policies and then how do they deal with surge staffing? But the top challenge in 2021, 75% of them reported it was the emotional health and well-being of themselves and their team. Wow. In one so, year or a little over one year, that big of a change. Yeah. In about 18 months was the time spread between the two different studies. And this was 1,700 respondents. So it's not a small, you know, in size that they looked at. That really shows us pre-pandemic, I think we we're going into it at a pretty good spot emotionally, but where are we coming out as we move into this endemic phase um, of the pandemic is a totally different spot. Now we really have to focus on that emotional health. That is one powerful study. Wow. There's something else I want to ask you about because I think this is really important. There's a lot talked about, and to me, it's sort of common sense, but there's a lot of stigma around this. The whole issue of how we're doing emotionally, our mental well being, and all that kind of thing. And the culture, I guess I would say, a lot of times, particularly in healthcare, about being willing to talk about. It. What do you know about the impact of the stigma? And do you think that's getting any better? Any thoughts around that? I think it's getting better because of all the publicity. I think if you looked at it 20 years ago, if you know you or I went to our nurse manager and said, I'm just really feeling stressed and tired and, and overwhelmed right now, because those are the words we would use to describe burnout the nurse manager would probably look at us and say, yeah, go ahead, get back out there and get on the floor and, and get your job done. Now it's a totally different perspective. People understand it, they recognize it, and they realize that people, that's a cry for help. If I'm willing to come and say that. So I think the bigger thing is, is one, you know, how do we help people recognize it within themselves first and foremost? So if I have somebody that comes to my office and they're extremely negative, very frustrated with different things, I will usually go down the line of talking to them about their emotional well-being and their emotional state. 
versus trying to focus on what the issue was they brought to me, because chances are there's an underlying issue there. You know, initially, healthcare providers, you know, number one, we went into this profession to take care of other people. So we don't expect people to take care of us. We are the world's worst patients, whether I'm talking to a physician or whether I'm talking to a nurse, we're the worst. First and foremost, we see it as a sign of weakness. You know, you immediately go to, I'm not strong enough. And then I think the second thing is, is a lot of us, especially type A personalities, feel like it's our fault that we can't handle. And so if we can't handle it, it's our own personal weakness. How do we work with people to, and I think part of that, you know, answer my own question, how do we work with people to get them to see that is just continually providing that education, that training, um, up front, and you're starting to see that with hospitals. In fact, I just did a training that was 30 minutes long on suicide prevention that the hospital put out. Hospitals are now recognizing that, which is a great spot because we haven't seen that in the past. Yeah, Vicki, I totally agree. You mentioned a little while ago EAPs, employee assistance programs, which I think all hospitals have, but typically have been underused, although During COVID, I understand in a lot of places, some went the other way. So a lot of people tried to reach out and then suddenly there weren't enough resources because they were previously underused. One of the things I've noticed is that, and I'm not saying everyone needs to do this, but sometimes when people are just more forthcoming when they have a good experience with an EAP or with something that seems to sort of spread. Three or four years ago, I accessed the EAP here where I work at AACN. And then during COVID, I shared that with some colleagues that, you know, hey, this thing works. Hey, it's confidential. No big deal. I went for a few sessions and boy, I felt better. What are you seeing? Do you find people are more willing to share what they've done and that type of thing? Are we making any progress in that way? I think we are in different generations. So what I am seeing is our younger generations are taking more advantage of that. And I even hear that with my kids. You know, my kids are both in college now. And I'll hear them say, you know, I just need to take a mental time out. And I'm like, you know what? I would have never said that in college. I would have just sucked it up and kept going. I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe they do need to take a mental time out. Maybe I need to reset my expectations. <laughs> but, you know, in all seriousness, I think there's some of us that are a little bit more seasoned that need to take some lessons from our younger colleagues because they are, they're willing to call that time out and say, I need to take a break. I need to get assistance. Not seeing that as much with our older generation. They're less apt to access those resources. Although I've seen some of them start to access it again, just because of us being willing to talk about it now when we weren't talking about it in the past. Fascinating. Absolutely. So I want credit since since I admitted EAP and I'm certainly in the older generation. So (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, let me ask you one more question, then unfortunately, we have to wrap up. So we talked about if you see something in a colleague and your concern and some things you can do, what if you're just feeling this in yourself and you're like, oh my goodness, I wonder if I'm burned out or, but I sure don't want to talk to anybody or what I do. Do you have any sage advice for someone who's just thinking it about themselves and maybe what they ought to consider? So I kind of pull it down to three words, recognize, pause, and reconnect. So first of all, we have to recognize when we're getting to that stress point. And as we recognize that, then what are we going to do to help us stop that slide? So for me, it's retreating to my sewing room and 
you know, quilting. We got to recognize what our activity is and when we need to have that break. The second phase of that is, is pausing. I go back to Kevin Cashman's book, you know, the pause principle and, you know, the fact that we in the United States are the worst at pausing. If we, you know, sit down on an afternoon and decide to leisurely read a book, that's considered non-productive and, you know, we're almost punished for non-productive time, which Connie, you and I have had this discussion many a time, but seriously, we've got to learn how to pause. You know, recently I was talking to a nurse manager and she was very stressed. And I just said to her, I said, when's the last time you took several days off in a row? And she kind of thought about it and it was three years ago. And I was like, that's going to be number one. You know, before you do anything, because this person was talking about leaving, you know, a leadership position and, and they were a very accomplished leader. I said, that's got to be the first step is you got to take a pause. And then we'll have this discussion because you need to reset your mind frame. But then lastly, you got to reconnect with what brings you joy. Reconnect with your colleagues. Reconnect with, you know, those little activities because connection is the key. I'm a Brene Brown junkie. And I think, you know, if you want to go out and Google Brene Brown and connection, she has got tons of research on the impact of those two things on joy. And I think that is just a major key. Um, I don't know about, you know, you and our, our audience, but, you know, looking so forward to getting to come back to NTI, you know, live and in person to be able to make those connections. That, you know, in summary, those are the three things I tell people is, first of all, you got to recognize it. Second, you've got to pause and take care of yourself. And third, you've got to reconnect. One last thing I want to ask you, sort of thinking a mental roundup of some of the things we've talked about. You mentioned a couple of resources like the Maslach inventory about burnout and some resources from Kevin Cashman. Are there any that you'd like to highlight before we uh, finish up today? Yeah, you know, Connie, there's just a ton of resources out there. If you're not into full-blown research, because the Moslatch tool is a full research tool and costs money to use, there's a mini Z tool, mini Z as in zebra, that's out there that's a free of charge um, inventory that you can use to measure burnout. And I believe the American Medical Association, as well as numerous other sources, have that listed out on their websites to get. There's also a great resource out with the National Academies of Medicine. Uh, they have a clinician well-being collaborative that many organizations are a part of, including AACN, and they have got just oodles of resources available on their website. Of course, we have to plug AACN's healthy work environment standards as the gold standard for, you know, how do you develop that culture on your, your unit? And then if you want to read more about the AONL longitudinal study, they do have that on their website as well free of charge so you can download it and, you know, not being a member of the American Organization of Nurse Leaders. So it's out there. My two all-time favorite books is The Pause Principle by Kevin Cashman and then Brene Brown's, you know, research and work on connection. You know, if you Google Brene Brown and connection, you're going to find a lot of different resources with that as well. There's just a bunch of stuff out there and a bunch of quality information out there to resource. Sage advice from a very wise leader. Let me see if I can make sense of this as we as we wrap up. Dr. Vicki Good, boy, it's it's like 
healing to just talk to you about this because you are the perfect combination of the human being who happens to be a content expert about this thing called burnout. And the distinction you made, we're talking about unrelenting stress from the work environment in this context, that your home stuff, whatever's going on in your personal life has an impact. But in this instance, we're talking about work things. Three big concepts are emotional, physical exhaustion, this feeling of depersonalization where we're less engaged. And also we don't feel like we're accomplishing anything. We're not making a difference. I think you made a really important point. This occurs at all levels. It's not a frontline professional thing. It's not a leader thing. It happens to everybody, especially in the post-COVID world that we're all living in. And every one topic, as you said, symptoms can be anywhere from mild to elevated, and it really varies depending on a lot of things. I really love that you pointed out that the work environment, some people call that the culture, matters. You know, certainly what we bring to the party, so to speak, internally as individuals matters, but also so does that work environment. We talk about supporting leaders, and I want to point out, you also called out nurse managers who are probably in the most difficult squeeze play right now with so many demands on them from all over the place. What I wrote down when we talked about stigma is, you know, shifting the thought of burnout from a stigma-laden issue or a weakness to an actual act of courage. So if mentally, if we make that shift, instead of a weakness, it is actually courageous to talk about this stuff with each other. And then I think the sage three words that I heard is, if you find yourself or a friend or colleague in this, the three things to do are to recognize, pause, and reconnect. And the thing I love about reconnecting is we're all human and we all know how to connect with one another. How'd I do with all that? I think you did pretty good. I'll let you write my next article or give the next speech. (laughs) (laughs) No, brother. (laughs) Well, listen, speaking of reconnecting, what a joy it has been to talk with you, Vicki. And I just again want to say thank you for sharing your brilliance and your expertise on this topic with us. I think the people listening are going to benefit so much. Thank you. Well, thank you, Connie. I, I love sharing and love talking with you as well. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's Preceptor Challenge, with information available at aacn.org forward slash precept. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.